0: Take a look at the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verse 37. We are in the home stretch of our Dumping Jezebel series. We've been taking a look at the Bible's villains, such as Herod and Judas, as a way of talking about fear and rejection and isolation and mistakes. Last week, uh, Eric led us in a conversation about change. Uh, this week, we're going to take a look at one of the Bible's biggest villains, literally, uh, the giant Goliath. As we take a closer look into the most crippling obstacle of our life, oftentimes expectations. Now, in the book of 1 Samuel, the Israelites' rival were the Philistines. And in one particular chapter of their war together, the Philistines encamped on on one hill, and the Israelites on another hill. And in between this camp was, was a valley. And this was the place of their inevitable battle. Except the story goes that the Philistines sent forth out of their camp a nine foot nine inch tall gargantuan warrior he is so massive that his armor weighed 250 pounds and a spearhead alone weighed a whopping 20 pounds and the narrator of first samuel reports aptly that the Israelites and goliath compounds on their terror by by daily going out into the valley bellowing insults and issuing a challenge of a single warrior to face him. And not a single Israelite decided to take him up on that challenge. So not even King Saul, they were all cowering in fear. You see, all different types of cultures have myths about giants. The Greeks believed that Atlas, a titan, was holding up the world for all eternity. The Japanese ancient folklore tells of the story of Oni, which is a a giant demon with red or blue skin with three fingers and toes and grotesque horns. The Choctaw uh, Native Americans told the settlers about their forebears fighting against a race of giants called the, the Nahulo. See, even the Hebrew spies, when they tried to go into the Promised Land for the first time, came across what they believed to be giants so much So that they believed that they would not be able to take the promised land as God had promised to them. And now the Israelites are are staring down this hulking giant towering over them. And he makes his expectations known plainly. Send out your best to face me. We shall fight one another for the fate of our two armies. If your champion wins, then we will become your slaves Or if I win, which we all know that's going to happen, then you will become our slaves. See, I wonder if we can recognize that we have giants in our midst. No one is fee fi foeing, barking threats towards us in a valley, towering over us with violent intimidation. But we have hulking figures in our life that cast a shadow over us with their expectations. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that people have an unhealthy relationship with work as a result of, uh, of maybe a boss or coworkers or the workload of expectations. Leave work and many of us deal with the expectations that come with friendships. Then there's the expectations at home, whether it's from a spouse or from children or both. There's the expectation to provide, to clean, to fix, to prepare, to cook, to listen, to understand, to mediate, to fill in the blank. There is the expectation when it comes to the church, what we are and are not doing, what committees we are or are not a part of, what initiatives we are or are not supporting, what we do and do not look like, what we do and do not say. Even as we peek into our past, we see a trail of expectations from teachers and coaches and caregivers and parents and peers and rivals. We we are always in need for something, need uh, need something from us. People want to talk to us a certain way. They they want to expect something out of us. Some initial and other intentional, nevertheless, expectations that other tower over us, causing us to feel a sense of of judgment and anxiety and fear and doubt and uncertainty and weakness and insignificance. And when we stop and think about it, We are surrounded by the giants of other people's expectations. Now, there's some deep biological things happening within us with expectations as well. Dealing with expectations of others um, at the core of your brain's strategy is making sense and managing the world's expectations. When reality matches expectations, a nice dopamine squirt is released and moves on to the next expectation. If it's mismatched... In perception, the cortisone squirts within our brain, which is the cause and the root of anxiety. And and expectations are surprisingly resistant to adjustment. Expectations are real physical pathways within our brain. Uh, And so past expectations build up these new pathways. It makes it even more difficult to overcome these expectations in order to pave out new pathways within our brains. So in some sense, our brain functions in the day in, day out, based on the pathways created by a lifelong pursuit of managing expectations. It's constantly working through what it perceives to be what we want and what others want from us. Every year at Christmas, we take a family picture in front of the Christmas tree, and we text it out to friends and post it on social media with a, a Christmas greeting. And this particular picture from this year—I'm going to be honest—we were all looking pretty good. The the girls' bows were in the right place. Their smiles were precious. Jennifer was looking as beautiful and strong and brilliant as ever. I was actually having a halfway decent hair day. I might would change the uh, you know scarecrow feet here at the side of, of my eyes here, but but then what you need to understand is that this was the picture we posted, but this was the picture leading up to it. See, have you ever heard the phrase, perception is reality? That's because our perception shapes our expectations. Our perception of what we think others want to see, want of us, need from us, they shape our expectations. And often our expectations are shaped by the way that we view other people and their experiences. And how often do we make decisions or act in ways that we think is what others expect of us. And what we fail to realize is that people are typically presenting their best selves, not the work that it took to accomplish that goal or the technology it took to airbrush out reality. You see, businesses actually drive their marketing to make you feel worse than you are. Why else would we need their product to make us feel happier and healthier and richer and more beautiful and safer and more fulfilled unless they've done their job in making us know that we are sad and unhealthy and poor and lacking and ugly and insecure and unfulfilled? You see, what we perceive... To be others' expectations of us, we perceive to be the success and greatness of others, oftentimes shape the expectations in our mind. We are wealthier than we ever have been, but we are unhappier than we ever have been. We are more prosperous but more depressed. We have faster delivery and transportation and services, but we are faster to complain about them. And despite the increases of our availability to technology and goods and services, it does not correspond with our satisfaction and happiness. It's one of the greatest paradox of our time. As one person put it, we are unhappy when our expectations of reality exceed our experiences of reality. A study was conducted recently that had participants sit down and they sampled several wines that were poured in bottles from top-rated wines in the world. And and they were given the samplings of wines that were poured from bottles of lower-end or cheaper wines. And almost all the participants gave high marks to the wines labeled with the top-rated wine companies, and in turn, almost all the participants gave low marks for the wines labeled with one of the cheap companies in the world. High-quality wine taste, great, cheap wine, Taste awful, essentially, was the results. Except what the participants didn't know is that the, uh, the people conducting the research actually flip-flopped the wines in each bottle. In other words, they put the cheap wine in the expensive wine bottle, and the expensive wine in the cheap bottle, and yet they rated the expectations based on what they saw. You see, one of the things that we need to understand about expectation, one of the giants that we face in our world oftentimes are not among us, but they are within us. We have expectations just about for everything. Friendships, sporting outcomes, anticipations of movies and TV shows, relationships, gifts at Christmas, birthday surprises, food at a restaurant, home projects, work promotions, career trajectories, children's behavior, children's life choices, children's life partners. And we too can place undue pressure on others based on what we think we want and what they need and what they need to become to us. You see, researchers have found that we are objectively happier when we are around people that lack what we have. Whether that be beauty or athleticism or business success or money or experience, it makes us feel better when we have other people who are below our standards and accomplishments. And, and often when we are working to set out of unrealistic expectations, we miss out on the moments and friendships and opportunities because we're so caught up in how we expect things to be. I heard, once, heard once someone say that the greatest obstacles you will face in your life is you. Or maybe, to put it more contextually from 1 Samuel 17, the greatest giant you will face often is you. You see, in in reality, our mind and our soul allows fear and jealousy and disillusion and frustration and anger and sadness and guilt and shame and pessimism and negativity and misguided goals and direction and greed and apathy to take root and to take over in our lives. As the great Henry Nouwen put it, our Western society is showing technology muscles in ever more threatening ways, but the experience of fear and anxiety and even despair has increased in equal proportion. Indeed, the paradox is that the powerful giant feels as powerless as a newborn babe. See, oftentimes, the greatest enemy in our lives is ourselves, because we have shaped unrealistic expectations. For who we are, what we should look like, how our lives should go. And oftentimes we don't find is that it affects our faith. It affects our choices, our work, our relationships. We are the giant barking insults and words of doubt that is preventing our soul from shrinking to size and trusting God. Oftentimes we are the greatest obstacle in our life. So there are giants in our midst around us, and oftentimes within us. Turning back to the narrative in 1 Samuel 17, there, there he stands in the valley. Goliath barking his taunts and unreasonable expectations on the Hebrew people and on King Saul, and then a new character emerges into the story, a young shepherd boy named David. And on his visit to the camp to bring his brother's supplies, David hears the speech of Goliath for the first time. But he doesn't respond in the same way that everyone else does. In fact, David becomes indignant over Goliath's impolite threats against God and God's people. And he wants to know what's going to be done about this giant's insult. And if he is the only person that has to take care of it, then he will do just that. But word reaches the king that this little guy in the camp is claiming that he will face the giant. And so King Saul brings David before him. And he repeats the speech again, don't worry, I'll go face the giants. You kind of get the sense from the text that Saul is fighting back laughter when he responds to David, you are not going to be able to go out against this giant fight him. You are just a kid. This massive guy has experienced warrior. He, he's been doing this since he broke seven feet. But David is insistent touting that he has in fact killed a lion and a bear while defending a sheep, believing that God will be with him, Saul measures his perception of David and expects very little, and so he begins to throw armor and weapons on David that this will accomplish the task before him. Sometimes people expect very little out of you, and they have to overcompensate with what they believe you need to be successful. But David begins to course correct in all of this by stating in verse 37, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. There's been a common theme with Saul and Israel versus David In 1 Samuel 17, the Israelites and Saul are overwhelmed with fear and doubt, unsure of how to handle the burden of the expectations that Goliath has placed on them. On the other hand, David is stepping into the story and and stepping into, he is speaking out of the possibilities of God. You see, David teaches us in this exchange with Saul that God brings perspective into the burden of expectation. Israel has been burdened by the threats of Saul, by his, by his bullying and their pending subjugation of the Philistines. Saul has been burdened by the very threat of the giant and what the expectations are for him as the king. David has been overshadowed by the real threat of Goliath, but also by the overwhelming doubt of the Israelites and the king and his fellow countrymen and even his family. But David does what seems to be unreasonable to logical people. He turns to God. He, He turns to God to give him perspective to see beyond the expectations of this situation, of this giant, of his family, of Israel, and of this king. He turns to God to give him a new perspective into how to navigate this conflict. He turns to God to help him see what he must do to change the narrative. Sometimes when we try to face off against giants, even the giants that is within us, we face an uphill battle of hesitation and disparaging remarks and even walls of resistance from others. Often this is masked with what appears to be sound wisdom, when reality of others' fear of facing these giants, to the unknown, to the abnormal, to going against mediocrity. People fear and they criticize what they're not willing to do, to change, or to imagine. But David shows us through God, we are able to come away with a different perspective. In reality, that is the invitation of Jesus anyways. Jesus is inviting us to change our way of thinking and living. And through Jesus, we can see what we cannot control is what others expect of us. We we begin to see that we cannot control others, but we can begin to control and change how we think, and how we speak, and how we act, and how we conduct ourselves, and how others view us. You see, through Jesus, we're able to look at ourselves from a different perspective. Instead of all the pressures that are put on us of what we need to look like, and be like, and do, and to say, Jesus sees us for who we truly are, a beloved child of God. As one author put it, you are your own worst enemy. If you can learn to stop expecting impossible perfection in yourself and others, you may find that happiness has always eluded you. You see, through David's example, we also learn a very important lesson about facing off against the overwhelming burden of expectations. God equips us with adaptability. Consider the exchange between David and Saul. Even Saul is willing to let David go off and face this giant, but he's only willing to let him do it if he pours on all of this armor on him. This seems reasonable for him to do. And yet David responds to Saul's gears of war by taking them off. Instead, he chooses to do what God has equipped him to do. He chooses a slingshot and stones the very tools that he used to defend his sheep against a lion and a bear. Consider the situation itself. A battle of champions. Goliath set the stage for someone to fight him on his terms, in his place, one-on-one with sword and spear. Of course, in that context, Goliath wins every time. And yet David shows another way to meet the giant on the battlefield by changing the narrative altogether. While we cannot control the circumstances of others and situations. We can learn from God a different way to approach these things. Through Jesus, we are called to have patience in all circumstances. Patience and strength to be calm no matter the circumstances or the process and discernment that God produces prudence within us to understand how we might step forward in faith. And as we allow God to give us perspective, trusting in God's way and way of life, we become flexible and adaptable to face every circumstance that comes across us. We cannot change the hulking expectations of others, but we can change the way that we meet them with patience and understanding. And when we're trusting God to lead us through all circumstances, then patience begins to adapt and change and leads us to openness and new routes we did not see before acceptance is an amazing trait that needs to be actively worked towards as david leaves Saul's tent he picks up five smooth stones from the stream he slips them into his bag and he makes his way down to the valley and as he approaches the giant Goliath his response is predictable he doubles over in laughter he begins barreling in at this young boy standing before him and the Israelites for their willingness to let this little guy come die on their behalf, but as this Hulk verbally abuses David, the shepherd boy gives him a piece of his mind. He says, "While you have come at me with your size and spears and javelin, I'm coming to you with something else. I come to you on behalf of the God of the universe, who is going to rectify this situation." You are not going to triumph today. And at this, the Bible tells us that the giant had enough of this little pest. He moved towards David to kill him, except David moved faster. Running towards the giant, he pulled out one single stone from his pocket. He hurled it and flung it at the giant's face. The stone sank into the frontal lobe of the giant, dropping him to the ground. Now, I want to be careful here, because it would be easy to misconstrue that we should overcome the expectations of others by sinking a smooth stone into their frontal lobe. I feel like I shouldn't say this, but that is not the appropriate way to handle the expectations of others in your life. Please do not fling stones at people's faces. All right, we've got that out of the way. This exchange with Goliath, David shows us the power of speaking truth into others' expectations of us. You see, while Goliath saw his size and experience, knowing full well, what was going to happen in this lopsided battle, David cut through Goliath's expectations with words of truth. Backing up even to Saul and the Israelites as they stared him down, David believed that he could overcome this. He reminded them that God had a plan for this, that God had chosen these people that they would overcome in this moment. Expectations between people, whether desired or not, creates a social contract, and it's an implicit agreement between others and you, and And too often we simply let people dictate who we are and what we should be doing by giving in to their perspectives. And We do so because we don't want conflict. We don't want to hurt someone else's feelings, it's easier not to do anything. It's easier just to not change or say anything. So we grin and bear through unfair, unsavory, and unbeneficial situations. In the same way, God gives us perspective and adaptability to face the overwhelming expectations of others. God desires to give us wisdom and words to speak truth in all circumstances. People need limits. People need to know when they're expecting too much out of us. Or their expectations of us are shaping us in a way that we don't desire. And so God equips us with courage to speak up. To speak words of truth into other people's life. That doesn't mean we speak words harshly to them, but that means that we speak words in grace, letting them know that what they expect of us is unreasonable. What you'll find is oftentimes people won't get offended. They won't get irritated. Sometimes you open them up to the reality of what they really were expecting of you. But on the flip side of this, we also need to begin to understand that maybe we need to change our expectations of others. One of the biggest challenges in life is learning to accept people for who they truly are. And once you realize that your expectations cannot change people, the better off you will be. Jesus tells us to love others, even those that are difficult to love, in the same way that we love ourselves. And we can expect others, if we can't expect others to change, and we don't expect others to change us, oftentimes we need to realize that we have too high of expectations on others. When we stop expecting people to be perfect, you can learn to like them for who they are. So from our scripture this morning, we see the remarkable invitation to overcome the gargantuan expectation of others. We are created by a God who does not sit in some cosmic throne far off in the distant netherworld. Instead, we have a God who is present in our lives, equipping us to face what we face in our every single day. And this morning, we are challenged by Jesus to dump Goliath and his expectations and to follow Jesus as we boldly step beyond life's greatest obstacles. For our time of reflection this morning, we invite you to prepare your hearts to come to Jesus' table. I know this feels a bit unique in the fact that some of us are here, uh, the majority of our faith community is joining us online, and so it feels weird to come to a table uh, when we are so distant from one another. But this is the thing that we have in common. That although we all come from different walks of life, although we all have different education and life journeys and political persuasions and, and perspectives of life, we are all united in Christ. Paul reminds us that in Christ there is no Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, no male, nor female, for we are all one in Christ. And the table of Jesus reminds us of that very fact. That at Jesus' table there are no expectations on us. Jesus' expectation is not for us to come to him perfect, perfectly as we should be religiously. But instead, Jesus opens up his table to all of us to be shaped and formed into something better. So we come to his table this morning, a table of no expectations except to receive his grace and his love and his mercy signified in the cross. For those joining us in person, you have one of these little sets out in front of you. Um, The wafer is on the top, and the juice is in the bottom. I cannot vouch for the flavor of the wafer, um, so hopefully the juice tastes great. But we take this act this morning as a symbolic act as a faith community. Christ, on the night that he was betrayed, said that he took the bread and broke it and said, This is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. It says in the same way he took the cup and said, This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood poured out for you. Drink of this in remembrance of me. So we remember the sacrifice of Christ this morning and we partake in it together as a faith community.